0: Do you love being right? I have to admit, I love being right. I love knowing the right answer. I love knowing what the wrong answer would be. I love knowing what people thought the right answer was, but it turned out it wasn't because there was something else they didn't know. You know, I don't really know if I'm any good at maths, like real maths, but in when I was in primary school, I used to love when we had to yell out times tables in the class when they'd say, you know, what's seven times seven? I'd be like, 49! You know, they'd... And I loved it because seven times seven is 49, and you can show it if you're the first one to get it you can show everyone, I'm right, I know, you know, no matter what you thought it was or what you were going to yell out, I was right and I was quicker at it than you were. The, uh, The parable of the Good Samaritan is probably along with the parable of the prodigal son, one of the two most well known parables of Jesus, just across, you know, in general across society and across culture. Um, you know, even to the point where it, it comes, it, it ends up being used in contexts that don't really have that much to do with a, a good Samaritan or with a prodigal son. But you could easily have a Hollywood movie. If someone said, oh, this, this, this movie's coming out next year and it's called The Good Samaritan, it's kind of like, okay, most people are going to get something just from the title of what, what's going on there. But when we start to look into, look into the story and look into the, the teaching... We we find some really interesting aspects to the story that are both different to other parables that Jesus teaches or uses to teach, and yet at the same time almost like the knot that ties together so much of the Bible and so much scriptural teaching. And really, the way that the teaching occurs is via a series of questions. And if I can, uh, if I can summarise it this way. In a way, this morning, it would be via one overarching question, with three quest, three sub-questions following from it. And the overarching question might be a little bit confusing at first, but hopefully, if uh, <laughs> if I make any sense, you you understand it by the end. But the question that the parable of the Good Samaritan is asking us is, will you be a neighbor on the way of blood? Will you be a neighbor on the way of blood? And the three questions that unfold out of that are, firstly, where is my heart? Secondly, where is my neighbor? And thirdly, where is my God? So, firstly, this parable has to do with heart positioning, and it's kind of interesting if you look at the, the way that the, the story that Luke is recording unfolds. So, in the first part, a lawyer stands up and puts him to the test, so this is not one of those ambulance chasing, you know, bring a lawsuit, Law lawyers, no offence to any lawyers who, who might be here, but this is someone who is learned in both the Scriptures, so the Old Testament, and in the rabbinical teachings, so all the teachings that Jewish priests and scholars have developed in response to a culture, as in Israel, interacting with the Old Testament over hundreds of years. So, someone who is expert, or at least knows or been taught in that way, and... This guy, this lawyer, he comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a question that is recorded in the other Gospels as being asked as well, in Matthew and Mark. There's similar passages, except... So, in those passages, Jesus responds and he responds with a teaching. In this instance, Jesus responds with a question, which is partly why I framed this morning's message in terms of some questions, because uniquely in this parable, that's what Jesus is doing. He responds and says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the scribe, the lawyer, answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. Perfect. That lawyer just nailed the answer that Jesus gave in Matthew and in Mark. Now, why did he do that? The most straightforward answer is just like if you're anyone's teaching a class, teaching, you know, you're trying to teach a kid to tie their shoelaces. You don't just do it once and that's that. Oh, well, there, I've shown you, get on with it. You have to do it over and over and over again. Jesus is walking around. Literally, walking around Israel, going from village to village, place to place, and teaching. So, he is reiterating over and over again these lessons. Of course, the scriptures don't go, well, he said it here, and then we said it the next day, or he said it a week later, and therefore, we uh, will record it again. And the reason that I would venture to say, but the reason I would venture to say that the lawyer would say this, is because this teaching is unique to Jesus. There is no precedent for, say, so. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy verse six, uh, sorry, chapter six. the law is summarized as you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's correct. But then it isn't until Leviticus, Leviticus in a totally different context where the concept of loving your neighbor as yourself is taught upon. Jesus brings these two together into the first basically when he's asked what is the first and great, what is the greatest commandment, he brings these two together to say the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and the second is like it, to love your neighbour as yourself and then from there he goes on in the recording in Matthew of Jesus' answer to say on these two commandments depend over the law and the prophets. This isn't something that the scribes of the Old Testament had come up with. This is something that was, uni- was in a sense new in that Jesus had summarized completely the entire Old Testament and its teaching and its purpose. So basically, what this lawyer is doing is echoing Jesus back to him. He's heard the teaching, he's heard the correct answer, and he's like, Okay, you're going to flip it on me. Here we go, I'll give you back your answer. And in response to that, Jesus says, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. that's not enough for this lawyer. And the text, Luke says that, he he asks another question, and in asking it, he's desiring to justify himself. Basically desiring to prove his own correctness, his own rightness. He asks him, who is my neighbor? And at this point, Jesus is going to respond in a very unique way with a very unique story. But firstly, what he has done is he has position the man and his audience to be, to have the correct answer to a very important question on which their understanding the story correctly depends. And that question is, where is my heart? Is my heart on the things of God and the benefit of my neighbor? Or is my heart somewhere else? Is my heart upon myself? So, Jesus tells him, in response to his question, a Unique story. And this story is that there is a man, and he's travelling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jerusalem is, basic, so Jerusalem is in the middle of the lands of the tribe of Judah, which at that time was known as Judea. It's basically almost dead center, and it's high up. It's like I don't know, it's something like 800 metres, a kilometre above sea level. It's high up, it is a incredible strategic point where, you know, basically mountainous country, great to defend, hard to attack, the long-standing central position of both Judah and Israel. Jericho is north and to the east of Jerusalem. But it, and it's about uh, 30 k's maybe, um, maybe a little bit less. But it is between, in that 30 k's, the land goes down sharply. It's something like 300, Jericho is something like 200 meters below sea level so in that country you're going through basically mountainous terrain to go between jerusalem and judah so jesus tells a story man going from jerusalem to jericho and he falls among robbers and that word fall actually means entrapped so he has been on his journey There's been a trap set by some robbers. And that stretch of road in that time and for centuries afterwards was known as the way of blood because it was so dangerous, it was so treacherous that it was just a place of great danger, a place where people would get robbed, people would get beaten, people would get killed. And it was known, everyone hearing that story would know in that time that this land was that, was, that was a dangerous road to go on your own. And so he tells the story of a man who's been robbed. He's robbed, stripped, beaten, and left for dead. And then, Jesus, and then three people come along who see this man. The first is a priest. So the first is someone of Israel, a countryman of this man. So Jerusalem, Jericho, both within Judah, both within the Jewish territory, fellow... Fellow countrymen of this man comes along, a priest, sees the man lying away, uh, sorry, lying beaten by the side of the road, says, eh, I'm gonna stay on this side of the road, I'll keep going by. Second man, a Levite, so not a priest, but a man of the priestly tribe, so a man possibly esteemed in the area because of the Levites came the musicians, the workers in the temple, the people who did the temple service were concerned with the things of God. Meh, that guy looks pretty beaten. I think I'm going to stay on the other side over here and keep going. Third guy comes along, a Samaritan. So, so, we have, two, we have a Levite and a priest. We have countrymen of the, peop, of the man who's fallen. And we have men and we have people who are uh, supposedly their life, their day-to-day, their being is concerned with the teaching of God, with the service of God. They see a fellow countryman, a fellow servant of God, whatever tribe he may be, part of the people of Israel, and they passed on by. Martin Luther King, the 1960s, the great civil rights leader, he, he traveled that, that road. He, he went there and he saw that land in, in Israel. And the day before he died, he preached a sermon. And in it, he said, in this land, you can see. You can see how dangerous it is. You can see how treacherous the road is. You can see how easy it would be for that to be possibly a trap for is is he really beaten? Is you know, is is this something that's trying to cause me to be in either even that man's position or that man's gonna jump up and it turns out he isn't. It's, it's all a ruse, and I'm I'm going to be the one attacked and robbed," you know, he, he said. "You conceive that, that that is a fearf- a fearful place to travel, and really, perhaps that is the most accurate way to describe what these men were having was that they had fear, and their fear was greater than whatever obligation or sense they might have had from their their teaching and their their culture and their obligation to God to do right. But next we have a Samaritan and he doesn't respond in fear. See a bit like Samaritans were the enemy this of the, of the people of Israel, really. They, they weren't a war enemy but this would be like telling a story about South and North Korea and a South Korean being on the side of the road and two other South Koreans walk by and then a, somehow a North Korean comes by and helps this person who they've, they've been taught is their complete enemy, right. at, at this point in their history of Israel and Samaria, it's something like about 800 years, really, of being the, essentially the same people ethnically, but religiously and culturally being completely opposed to each other and you know within the so 200 years prior the Israelites and the Samaritans had gone before another king a king from one of Alexander the Great's sons and said we have a dispute we the, the Israelites or the Jews say, Jerusalem, the holy mountain here, this is where we should worship. The Samaritans say, this mountain over here, Mount Gerizim, is where we should worship. And we want you, a king from Macedonia, basically, to judge between us. And he judged for the, uh, for the Jews So, they'd had kind of a cultural wound within those centuries. And then within the prior 30 years, the historian Josephus records that in about 9 AD, Samaritans had, at the time of Passover, so at the holiest time of the the Jewish worship calendar, had snuck into Jerusalem at night under... The cover of dark and then snuck into the temple and defiled the temple with human bones so this was both a historic conflict but also something that was real and visceral to the people of Jerusalem and of Samaria in that time, and yet it is the Samaritan who has compassion, it's the Samaritan who goes and helps this man, this man who is his enemy, he's the one who goes and looks after him and tends to him. And. In telling this story Jesus finishes but he finishes with a question again and he says to this lawyer which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers and the lawyer I mean doesn't really have any option with this story does he like with so many of Jesus stories and the questions he asks people you know you you, you have to concede the point he says the one who showed him mercy So, basically, Jesus put the lawyer in a position where he had to let go of all his teaching, all his understanding, everything that he thought he knew of the law, everything he thought he knew of the rabbinical teaching, Of what it made it okay to do okay to not to do in certain circumstances and get to the heart of a question that he didn't that he was asking but he didn't even really know he was asking he wanted the lawyer wanted in this this answer he wanted the boundaries he wanted Jesus to you know do he wanted this guy who's basically turned the world upside down in the way that he's going around and teaching and incredible things are happening to say, okay, that's, yep, this is all happening, but, you know, here's the limit. You know, these are the boundaries here. You just need to stay within those and you can be as merciful as you want, but, you know, obviously not them or not them. You know, we, he flipped it and he said, where is my neighbour? My neighbour the one who shows mercy. It's a redefinition. <laughs> and in doing that, what Jesus does for, for us is actually to not just cause us to ask a question of, where is my heart and where is my neighbour, but to also ask, where is my God? And again, sort of uniquely in this parable, who in this is God? When we look at the parable of the prodigal son, it's pretty clear that the father in that story is at least a allegory for God the father in his love, his willingness to move towards us before we are even aware of who God is or of our need for our father when we're just in our own human hunger and desperation, God's already there moving in a fatherly way, in a way that we weren't even aware we were asking for. Yet in other parables where the bride, where the bridesmaids are waiting for the the bridegroom to come, you know, there's a pretty clear parallel with the bridegroom and with Jesus coming, and for them to be watchful. But here, in this parable, in this story, where's God? And as usual with God, the answer is, He's there. He's doing more than anyone would ever expect or imagine, he's not there quite in the same overt way as some of the other parables, but in the Samaritan, in the sense of someone who is an enemy showing compassion, someone who is an enemy showing kindness, he's there. He's there demonstrating the radical calling that Jesus has for us and the radical calling that Jesus already already lives out. So the kind of love that's being demonstrated by the samaritan in this parable is the kind of love that jesus speaks about in matthew when he tells when he says to us you have heard this is in the sermon on the mount you've heard that it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven And as in this parable, there is a radical calling here. It's a calling that flips upside down all the distinctions that we want to have as people, as individuals, all the ways that we want to have an identity that is our own, that is separate, where we can say these and these, but not them, not them, not those ones over there. And beyond that, in showing in that teaching, Jesus is also getting to the heart of the gospel. He's getting to the place where we have a God who is our enemy because we're the ones who put ourselves in that position of being an enemy. And yet, in that position, he sees us wounded. He sees us beaten. He sees us half dead, naked, desperate, at the side of the road with questions, just wanting to know Boundaries, just wanting to know the way out, just wanting to know how to do right and how to keep out the ones that are wrong. And he says to us, This is the way, be a neighbor on the way of blood. It's interesting that in the early church, Christians didn't really call themselves Christians. They described what they were doing as following the way, which was probably a reference to Jesus describing himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And no one coming to the Father except through Him. And it's interesting that at the same time, coming to the Father means going through Jesus, but it means going through Jesus' blood and His sacrifice. It means that, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, in Jesus Christ we who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So, what this parable is really doing is it's summarizing both the entire teaching of the Old Testament. And it's also summarising the entire purpose through which Jesus came and the nature of love that's been poured out for us. And then it's giving us, through the questions that are not being answered in the way we want them to be answered, a radical calling, a calling to imitate Jesus who on his way of blood to the cross didn't just look after his mother and best friend, which he indeed did, but he also healed a man who was his enemy, whose ear had been cut off. And then among his last words, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen. Amen.